listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. We have been in the book of Revelation. Revelation is, in the Greek, a word for unveiling, a chance to see what actually the true nature of the world is, to see this supernatural reality behind what we see with our eyes and and hear with our ears. And there's this sense that what the book of Revelation does is it gives us the full picture. There are a series of messages given to these various churches, these seven churches that the book of Revelation contains. Last week, Sarah preached on the letter to the church in Ephesus this reminder to not neglect our first love, to put God first. And it was a sense of encouragement, but also a sense of critique and warning, or not critique, but more, I guess, an uh, an exhortation to that church to return to its first love. This week, I'm going to be uh, preaching on uh, the second letter that we find uh, in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, You can look on and read uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And this is to the church in Smyrna. Smyrna today is in uh, Turkey, city of Izmir. And this is a city and a church which has a difference to all the other letters that we find uh, uh, addressed in the book of Revelation. That this church in Smyrna does not have a correction. There's not a rebuke here. So I just want to read to you the church, uh, the letter to the church in Smyrna. Verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. In the letter to Ephesus, which Sarah preached on last week, the church is facing this kind of internal rot. There is an outside pressure against the church, but the church has found itself compromised with the surrounding culture. And this, this message to the church in Ephesus was to return to that first love. But there's something actually different about this letter to the church in Smyrna. And this is captured by uh, Joseph Mangina in his book on Revelation. He says this, Here, the threat to the church existence is not the cooling of love toward Christ, as we saw with Ephesus, but actually external forces. So this is a tremendous pressure that's coming from outside of this church. And Smyrna found herself, like many of the other churches uh, in this area, this was a church that was under tremendous pressure. 
It was poor because it was choosing loyalty to Christ over the cultural pressure to be loyal to the imperial cult where you offered worship to Caesar and to the Roman gods. And by choosing not to do this, the church in Smyrna found itself ostracized and unable to participate in the normal economic life that they would normally have access to if they did, in fact, bend a knee to Caesar. The church also finds itself, and we see this referenced when it talks about um, this synagogue of Satan, that at this time, many of these people were Jews who had begun to follow Jesus And not only was there pressure from the Roman authorities, but even from the own religious community that many of them had come out of. So these were external pressures. They found themselves economically poor, but also socially poor. So the great message of this little passage, this key message to the church in Smyrna, is how do you deal with your faith when you're under pressure. And to talk about this, we need to sort of, in a sense, move from this first century context of a church under pressure in Smyrna and again move to our time. For we have our own cultural lenses and baggage that we bring to the idea of pressure. The great mythology in the West, particularly since really the beginning of the 1990s, was that it would be possible to build a world that was sliding towards a kind of utopia where the pressures that had befit humans for many, many millennia had actually began to be removed as the world continued to grow economically, as technology made the world better. And we moved away from the kind of tribal and political and religious battles that had defined so much of humanity's history. There was this sense that the world was moving to this new time of promise. And in that particular period, particularly in the 1990s and the beginning of the 21st century, there was this sense of optimism in the air. And that was the time where the way that many people who were watching here were formed, that was the, I guess, ethos which which formulated how we were educated, how we were parented, particularly here in Australia, a country which has enjoyed since the beginning of the 1990s, a long period of economic growth. The last recession we had in Australia before the one that we're currently experiencing with coronavirus uh, was actually at the beginning of the 1990s. Australia did not suffer the effects of the global financial crisis like other places did. And so the mythology in the West, but particularly in Australia, often is that we can live a life that the default setting is not pressure, the default setting is pleasure. That's very much at the heart of what it is to be an Australian. You just think about how we respond to other people. I was with a friend in the United States and she pointed out to me that actually it's interesting how people respond. In the United States, when you know, someone says thanks for something, you know, often people say, you're welcome. What do we say in Australia? We say, no worries. There's this sense in the Australian psyche that actually we avoid the difficult and the bad. And that's grown in the last few decades. And you just see how this has happened across the Western world, particularly around parenting. The belief that to be a good parent, you actually protect your children from any kind of difficulty of actually 
that there's a possibility to live a pressure-free life that instead is filled with pleasurable experiences. And this has meant many people have found themselves entering into life, seeing when pressure comes, that actually something is almost off with the universe, that we should not be experiencing pressure, whether as individuals or as a nation. But what this letter to Smyrna teaches us is if we are followers of Jesus, we need to reframe how we see pressure. Now, what changed with that ethos or the, sorry, that mythos, that mythology that we could slide the world to this utopian, comfortable, pleasurable future is we've had a series of shocks. And lately that has just gotten intense in 2020 as particularly now we find ourselves in a city with again a second lockdown as this virus continues to humble us. And so in the midst of this moment, understanding how we as Christians respond to pressure is absolutely key. And one of the things that you discover that as you read scripture, as you look at the history of church, there's always a sense of pressure that comes before God does good things for people. I believe that pressure, when viewed biblically, actually creates diamonds. Now, in preparing for this talk, I began to research diamonds, something I'd never really thought about. And diamonds are actually fascinating little things from nature. The word diamond comes from the Greek, adamas, which is this word meaning unconquerable or invincible. There is something about diamonds, this incredibly hard stone, which is translucent, which has captured humanity's imagination. And diamonds originally don't start as diamonds. They actually begin as something which is very ordinary, something which is everywhere, which is simple carbon. But this carbon is transformed from an ordinary substance into something rare and incredible and invincible. How is it transformed? Through pressure. And I reckon there's a few spiritual lessons that we can actually take from this process in nature as we think about pressure. Diamonds are actually created around 200 or 150 kilometers under the Earth's crust. That they are made in hiddenness. When pressure comes, pressure often meets us in a kind of hiddenness. There is something isolating often to pain and pressure. And at this moment in the coronavirus pandemic, as again we feel ourselves after having an experience of opening up a bit and now going back to a deeper lockdown, we can feel that sense of hiddenness. And many of us don't have the social connections in meeting people face-to-face that we used to. There is definitely Zoom fatigue as our brain is tricked by these images. There's this tiredness that comes from continually having to make new decisions. This week, you know, lots of people buying masks as the Victorian government's recommendations changed. 
And in the midst of all of this, we don't have the energy to or ability to connect with people in the way that we used to. And much of what we're going through now seems to be happening in that metaphor that we felt very much at the beginning of this pandemic. It's under a cover of night. We're hidden under a night at the moment. But remember, in the midst of hiddenness, diamonds are created. The second thing that's really interesting about diamonds is that diamonds without the pressure would actually just stagnate and remain as this ordinary thing, carbon. But actually when pressure comes, it saves the diamond from the death of stagnation. And this helps us realize a key principle around spiritual growth, no pressure, no growth. It is in the times of most pressure that I've grown the most spiritually. There's lots of things that I would never want to go through again that have happened to me in my life. But I also know there's this weird thing in the midst of that, that still, if I hadn't have had those things that I wouldn't want to go through again, I would not be the person that God has made me today. That those moments of difficulty and pain and pressure also have been some of the deepest moments of growth. No pressure, no growth. That diamonds are made pure by intense pressure is another fascinating principle that we can see in how diamonds are actually made. Diamonds are made pure by intense pressure. Carbon, when you see sort of carbon, you know, filaments or is that even the word fillings, carbon, it's, it's like a dust, it's dirty. But there's something so pure about a diamond, the translucent nature that means we put them on rings, we put them in museums. There's something and watching videos uh, this week in research about people who hunt diamonds, they are a rare breed, I have, I have learned. But there's something about people where they're fascinated by the purity of diamonds. We have a carrot system where we actually rate the purity of the diamonds. And that purity, like the purity of holiness, And what holiness and purity is, is when our character and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our actions actually align themselves with God's actions, heart and character. Diamonds are made pure by intense pressure. In his book, Discipleship on the Edge, about the book of Revelation, Daryl Johnson says this. Now, the word in Greek In the book of Revelation, this sense of afflictions that people are feeling, the word pressure here in the Greek is thlipsis. So when it says thlipsis here, that's talking about this particular pressure that the church in Smyrna felt. Thlipsis is the pressure experienced as the kingdom of God comes up against the kingdom of human beings in rebellion against God. I just want to pause there for a second. One of the insights, unveilings that Revelation gives us, that behind everything that you see in the news, the political scandals, the political fighting, the big geopolitical battles, all the different controversies from injustice to economic inequality to whatever it may be behind the story of all that stuff happening in the world. Revelation saying there is a bigger battle happening and that's the pressure that comes as the kingdom of God is breaking into the world and being resisted by the kingdom of 
the world, which is humans in rebellion against God. So continuing, Philipsis is the pressure experienced along the line where kingdoms clash. Philipsis is the pressure experienced where idols are being unmasked and aren't idols being unmasked at the moment in nations as coronavirus hits. Philipsis is the pressure experienced where human pride is confronted with a call to repentance. And if there's one thing that this virus is doing is it's exposing human pride. Not only a couple of weeks ago, Victoria was almost sitting in Australia, we're sitting in this place of feeling, you know, like we're doing quite well, that actually we've had this fantastic response. And you realize, look at this virus, it just takes one tiny slip somewhere. Someone just thinking they're the exception to the rule. One person does something and goes to a gathering and boom, it's like wildfire. This is a humbling, humbling virus that confronts our human pride. That is why, having said, I know your thlipsis, Jesus did not go on to say, and it is wrong, so I'm here to lift it. Now, this is really, really key to pause on. Because many of us have been formed by this Western view, this Australian view, or this view that when you experience pressure, there's actually something wrong. We can then go to God and almost expect this sort of paternalism where God's just going to make the bad pressure go away. And it's actually at that point that lots of people have almost faith crises when pressure comes and we pray and it doesn't go away. But what we see here is there is a process happening. Daryl Johnson continues, to follow him into the world, to follow Jesus, is to inevitably experience lipsis. I just want to just say this. This is my this is my. Summary of this, to be a disciple of Jesus is to walk the line, as Johnson puts it, between clashing kingdoms. To be a disciple of Jesus is you are going to experience flipsis. You are going to experience pressure. There's not a Christian discipleship where you don't get to experience pressure. And gospels that promise that, that are peddled by some people, are not gospels. They're not biblical. They're not, they're not what we see when we look at the scripture and see the words of Jesus. So we're going to experience pressure. We're seeing pressure now. The mythology that the world or Australian culture or Melbourne life or your upbringing or your education, that actually it could deliver you a life without pressure, that is being ripped down before our eyes right now. But we see that actually God uses, the unveiling shows us how God works with pressure to accomplish his goals. I don't believe that God sent the coronavirus, but I do believe, as Romans tells us, that he's using it for his good. So a couple of key things to remember as we face pressure, as individuals, as a city, as a nation, as a church, as a world. First of all, Remember the promise in the pressure. In the second part of verse 8, it says in chapter 2, Revelations verse 8, it says, These are the words of him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. You are feeling pressure, but you're feeling pressure following he who conquered death. 
He who was resurrected. And the resurrected Jesus, who we've met in a new way in this series, who is now this cosmic Jesus over the whole universe, moving history towards his ends. He says, I know your afflictions. I know the pressure that you're going through. I know the poverty that you feel. Yet you are rich. Jesus brings into the world this new concept that Donald Craybill called the upside down kingdom, where everything that makes sense in how the world values things is turned upside down. That a church in Smyrna, which was poor and marginalized and isolated from the perspective of the world, actually in the kingdom of God can be rich. And what this says to us in the midst of a pandemic is at this moment when we feel that our lives have been impoverished, when we feel isolated, when we feel worried, when we feel vulnerable, when those numbers keep coming in and they go higher in the daily virus infected people counts, that at moments like this, when we feel like we've lost control and feeling pressure, Jesus sees and hears this. Jesus says, In the midst of this, you can be rich and blessed when you see the way of the kingdom. There is a promise in this pressure. There is a promise that Jesus will be with you, that Jesus will walk with you. He is with you. You can be rich from a kingdom perspective in the midst of this. The second thing is pressure by itself is not fun. Pressure by itself is not a good thing. Pressure by itself is painful. But pressure becomes transformational with presence. I am with you, Jesus says. I hear you. I know your afflictions. When we have his presence with pressure, it changes the nature of his pressure. When I have been at those moments where all of my idols and pride begin to fall. When I'm in this moment of humbling, it's at that moment that I can feel his pressure, sorry, his presence the most. There is this opportunity in this moment. I think there's something really profound about going into lockdown 2.0, as people are calling it. I think lockdown 1.0, I went into it and, you know, There was just so many things we were trying to do. We were running fast. So many people in their work wanted to do all this extra thing. We were running at the previous pace of a previous season. All these people wanted to do things. We all had our, you know, we're going to start running now. We're going to learn Portuguese or we're going to bake the perfect sourdough croissant. I don't even know if you can make a sourdough croissant, but you you can. I'm being told by a our team here, Um, there's this sense that so many people wanted to do stuff. But it's really interesting. I'm hearing from so many people, whether it's from people who are homeschooling, whether it's people who are looking at their jobs, whether it's people just looking at their lives. A bunch of us are realizing going to lockdown 2.0 here in Melbourne. We can't do it all. We can't achieve everything. And in the midst of that, I'm realizing there's so many things that God can do that I cannot do. And so into those spaces and places where we realize our absence, his presence wants to come and transform the pressure that we're feeling. Point three, what the scriptures here encourage us to do, 
is when you're facing pressure, we meet that pressure with faithfulness. The church in Smyrna is different to the other churches. The other churches are being rebuked and corrected because they haven't been faithful. They've bent knees. They have become uh, you know, connected to the culture in ways which is, has made them unholy. They have a dual loyalty. But the church in Smyrna, despite from the world's perspective of being poor and seemingly impoverished and isolated, actually is rich because she's rich in faithfulness. Revelations 2.10 says this, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. The resurrected Jesus is leading his people in the ways of resurrection, inviting them into a resurrection life when they remain faithful under pressure. We're experiencing so many pressure points as the kingdom of God comes up against the kingdoms of the world. And the kingdoms of the world make their desperate last stand against Jesus' way. And in the midst of that, there is going to be so many temptations, invitations to look left and right. But at this moment, keep it simple, which is simply keeping your eyes on him and walking in his steps. That's all faithfulness is. Looking to Jesus before all else. Michael Wilcox says this. The message, therefore, is that Smyrna must not be fearful, but faithful. To look not at the suffering, but beyond it to the all-controlling God. Let's not be fearful. It's natural to be fearful. But Revelation, Jesus here, his own words, are inviting us to a posture of faithfulness. Point four. Pressure plus faithfulness equals perpetual renewal. What Jesus does is it's like a judo move. The enemy sends these pressures against us. These pressures come to throw us off our step. But Jesus almost takes those pressures like a judo move and uses own kinetic energy against it. And when that's met with faithfulness, that leads us into this process that whatever is thrown at us by life, whatever is thrown at us by the world, whatever is thrown at us by the enemy, whatever is thrown at us by the kingdoms of the world on that edge between the clashing between God's kingdom and the kingdoms of the world, whatever pressure comes, it's then flipped on its head and becomes fuel for renewal. For a good 18 months before coronavirus came, I felt God calling me to preach and speak continually into renewal at Red. And I remember when coronavirus happened, I'm like, goodness me, what does this mean? I had literally overseas invitations. There was stuff we wanted to do at Red. There's so many spaces and places to speak this hope-filled message of renewal. And then coronavirus comes and it's like so many things seem to be taken away. But in the midst of that pressure, I'm now forced to evaluate and recognize how much the moments that I felt, man, I had to do it. At this moment, Jesus is just asking me to be faithful in the quiet places. He's asking you to be faithful in the quiet places. 
And as that happens, we're transformed on the inside. When we're faithful, pressures come against us. And like the diamond, we're transformed from something ordinary to something extraordinary and invincible because it's no longer us. It's actually him living through us. Pressure requires faithfulness. And faithfulness sometimes will also create pressure as the kingdom of the world comes against us. But always remember that faithfulness and pressure is a recipe for perpetual renewal. We're becoming more like Christ every day. Lastly, Jesus invites his church to walk towards victory in the midst of pressure. As I prepared for this talk, I was really interested in what the church looks like today in Smyrna, now known as Izmir, in Turkey. Turkey currently is moving into what I would describe as a more authoritarian stage. For some time, Turkey has been this sort of stopping point for many people who are wanting to share the gospel into the Middle East in countries where you actually can't meet as the people of God in many places which sadly have been worn, torn, taken over by extremism. But things are beginning to change in Turkey just Not so long ago, a couple of months ago, I was in conversation with someone who had been serving the church by visiting Turkey and people in this meeting point who had their visa revoked. There are numbers of uh, pressures that are coming on the church in Turkey. So I looked up Izmir. I found one church, began poking around their website and watched the video. And watching this video, in many ways, it could be, you know, you're looking at the video and the images of people worshiping with their hands in the air and singing worship and young and old and different races getting together and praying. But what struck me is that after all this pressure, after all this difficulty from what it looked like in the first century to all that Turkey has gone through over the years to now what is currently happening in Turkey, Jesus' church is not overrun. Here is this church where people are coming to faith. Many of them, I was reading on the website, coming to faith as people have dreams about Jesus, not even knowing him and coming to faith for the first time. Jesus' church walks towards victory, even in the midst of incredible pressures. This one church that I checked out in Izmir today, in in Smyrna, God was doing something there. And God can do something in your life in the midst of pressure as we find ourselves here in Melbourne in the midst of coronavirus in 2020. You may be rich in the kingdom of God, even though it looks like you're not from the metrics of the world. Let's pray. God, we feel the pressure at this point in time. The pressure as our city again goes into lockdown. The pressure as we see different infection rates rising. The pressure as people respond 
to this emergency as people have to again go back into things like homeschooling. We think of people, our medical staff who are on the front lines. We think of so many people having to go above and beyond at this moment. In the midst of this pressure, Jesus, we ask for your faithfulness. We don't have to do it. We just have to invite you and your way to come and to remake us. Give us your faithfulness. Give us your faith, Jesus. We can't do this in our own strength. We need your spirit. So we pray that your spirit will come. Give us your peace. Help us to be transformed in the midst of this pressure, we pray. We bring the church in Turkey before you, the church in Izmir. We think of those around the world who are suffering tremendous pressure and persecution. We think of the interview we had several weeks ago with Mike Gore from Open Doors, who talked about that in the midst of the coronavirus, many Christians are facing intense persecution at this time. We pray you'll comfort them. We pray that they will be even strengthened and even more faithful in the midst of this pressure. And we thank you that we as the church have access to your resurrection power. May we continue to preach your good news at this time be transformed by you. We pray in your name. Amen.